0: Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we just pray that you give us understanding as we go through these very interesting chapters. And Lord, we see the big picture of what's going on behind the scenes in the world, what Satan's plans are, what his schemes are, and how we need to be careful to not get caught up and seduced and waylaid by this world system, this economic and religious system that wants to keep people from you so we just pray give us wisdom as we study this in jesus name amen revelation 17 covering verses 15 to 18 the history future and fall of mystery babylon the false religious system that started with nimrod and the Tower of babel and this is the second part so last week we did the first part so a brief introduction
1: we have the seven-year Tribulation coming soon. It's not here yet.
0: What has to happen first? Can you guys tell me what happens first before the tribulation starts? Mm -hmm. The rapture happens, then the Antichrist is revealed, and when he signs the peace treaty with the children of Israel for seven years, guaranteeing their peace and their security, then the clock starts ticking for those last seven years allocated or decreed for Israel as it says back in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Now, what happens is that Satan is going to gain control of the whole world, and this chapter helps us to understand part of the way that he does it. Part of the way he does it is through a false religious system, a one-world religion. The other way he does it is through an economic system, but that's what we're going to learn about next week so basically what we have in this chapter is the beast, which is the economic government system, and the woman, the whore, which is the false religious system. And as we said last week, the scarlet or harlot, the ultimate spiritual whore or harlot that has been, is and will continue to seduce the world to turn away from God and worship idols and demons. And that will happen until her demise at the midpoint
1: of the seven-year tribulation, and we learnt last week we, did, we talked about what it would look like This will be a false religion it will have counterfeit faith, counterfeit spirituality,
0: counterfeit teachers, counterfeit miracles, counterfeit godliness, and its leaders will have counterfeit authority that spiritual authority all in all it will be a counterfeit Christianity. And as we learned last week, it'll be an empty or godless religion at its very best or worst. (laughs) This system draws people in. It'll be a spiritual system, but it won't be worshipping God. It'll appear to be worshipping God, but it won't be worshipping God. It'll be worshipping Satan. But then halfway through, and we're going to see this as you get to the end of the chapters today, halfway through the tribulation, this economic system, this government system, the 10... Kings and the Antichrist, they together turn on this woman, this whore, this system of false religion, this one world religion, and they destroy it, smash it to bits, gone. And in its place comes Satan worship, pure, unadulterated Satan worship. From the midpoint of the tribulation, The and we're going to learn this today as well, At the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist is assassinated. He's resurrected. So lots of stuff happens at the midpoint. This false religion is destroyed, but it all coincides with the Antichrist being assassinated and resurrected. And the false prophet, the guy who works with the Antichrist to help deceive people, he causes everyone to build these statues images, of the Antichrist, and then he forces people to worship them. He says, if you don't worship the image of the beast, the Antichrist, you will, what? You will die, okay? And when you worship the image of the beast, you get given a mark. You take the mark of the beast. Now, the Bible says, and it warns very clearly in Revelation, we've read this in previous weeks, that... If you take the mark at this time in the tribulation at the halfway point and you worship this image, you worship the Antichrist as God, as Satan as God, then you will forfeit your soul to Satan. There is no turning back. And so basically what we have is a mass slaughter of tribulation believers at this time. For the second half of the tribulation, Satan is given Authority. The Antichrist has given authority over all believers, both Jew and Gentile. And Satan goes after, the Antichrist goes after Israel. God protects them for the last three and a half years. But the poor Gentile believers, they get slaughtered. So not a good time to be a believer.
1: Better to be a believer now and get taken up in the rapture. So that's a quick summary of what's going on.
0: We're just going to read the chapter, and then we'll get into it. So, Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, or golden senses, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, who sits on many waters. That's the one world religion, the false religious system. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. As we learnt last week, spiritual adultery, worshipping false religions. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So they were all caught up in this. So he carried me away in the spirit to the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So, remember, and we'll go into this more today, the seven heads represent the seven kingdoms seven world empires and the ten horns are on the last of the seven heads it says in daniel and other parts of revelation and this last kingdom this last head this last world empire will be ruled by ten kings and it will eventually be taken over by the antichrist They will give their authority to the Antichrist. So we'll get more into that later as well. In verse 4, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication, or literally sexual immorality, but applied here as false religion. And we pointed out last week that she's going to have a facade of looking really nice on the outside. And we looked at that last week as well, compared to the Pharisees and and sometimes the modern church. Looking good on the outside, but not so good on the inside. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. (laughs) How would you like that name? Don't give that name to your child. I saw the woman. This is the harlot false religious system, drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs or witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled, wondered with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So that's a reference to the Antichrist being assassinated and rising from the dead again. as a counterfeit resurrection. Verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings or kingdoms, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. We'll get into that in a minute. When he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. (laughs) That's really confusing. Basically, what you have is five world kingdoms. Five have fallen at the time of writing, back in, you know, when John was around in 95 AD, 100 AD, when this was written. Five of those kingdoms have fallen. So Egypt, Assyria. Yeah, consecutively. So Egypt, then Assyria, and then Babylon, then the Medo Persian Empire, then the Grecian Empire. And then what you have at the time of John is the Roman Empire. That's the one that is. And the other has not yet come is the future or revived Roman Empire. And when he comes. This last empire, he must continue a short time. And that's talking about the short period of time during the tribulation, the seven year tribulation. And then verse 11 is referring to the Antichrist that was and is not, is himself. So again, referring most likely to his assassination and then counterfeit resurrection. Is himself also the eighth, like an eighth kingdom. So you have the seven year. Tribulation and what it's to, being described as here is like an eighth world empire because it's not the ten kings who are ruling it now, it's the
1: Antichrist. Does that make sense? So we'll get more into that, I'll go more into detail into that soon. And it says he is going to perdition, literally to destruction. Verse 12 The ten
0: horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet but they receive authority for one hour, a short period of time, as kings with the beast. So they reign with the Antichrist during the seven-year tribulation. These are of one mind or purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So during the tribulation, they will give their authority to the beast, making the Antichrist the world dictator. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him, that is, the ones who come back with him, the raptured church, are called, chosen, and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill or execute his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast, to the Antichrist, until the words of God are fulfilled. That is when Jesus comes back, the second coming. And the woman you saw is that great city which reigns, is reigning, over the kings of the earth. So, at the time, that was Rome. Rome was the capital of the world, of the Roman Empire. So, let's get into it. Verse 5, and on her Forehead, a name was written Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. As I said, don't name your child after this. From God's perspective, this false religion is absolutely revolting and disgusting. You cannot get a more degrading, put down name, okay? The mother of harlots, okay? And of the abominations of the earth. This is the source of all harlotry. Yeah,
1: so your harlot is a prostitute. Now, on her forehead a name was written.
0: Back in those times, back in the days of the Roman Empire when John was around, the Roman prostitutes frequently wore a headband with the name engraved upon it. Therefore, in the context of the culture that this was written in, this was actually describing a prostitute. So, not only does her name say she is the prostitute of all prostitutes, the harlot of all harlots, but she is a prostitute
1: because she's wearing this name on her forehead. Now, Mystery of Babylon the Great. Why mystery? Because it's not talking about a literal city, Babylon. Yes,
0: it did start there and we looked at that last week, the start of this counterfeit trinity, the counterfeit virgin birth, the counterfeit resurrection, Tammuz and
1: Semiramis and that. But today, it's not in Babylon. In John's day, it was in Rome.
0: So it's a world system. Okay? It's a world system of idolatry and false religion. But this is the source of everything. This is the mother. This is the source of all idolatry,
1: all abominations. and Spiritual idolatry or harlotry. And last week we
0: went into a fair bit about spiritual idolatry as being God's way of describing anything else but genuine worship of the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God sees all false religion as an abomination. And one essential characteristic of any false or empty religious system is compromise. And I just want to focus on this a little bit. I've got a quote from David Guzik. Our world, strong with the philosophy that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe, is prepared for the harlot's seduction. We see the casual disregard for the truth crippling the church today. People say things like, oh, well, you don't have to take it literally. (laughs) Really?
1: The days can be millions of years. Really? So, the faulty thinking described
0: here goes like this. As long as I am sincere, then I am okay. But think of it this way. If I sincerely believe, That if I jump out of a plane at 20,000 feet without a parachute and land safely, I will still sincerely die. (laughs) Make sense? I was sincerely wrong. Truth sincerely matters. So true or correct doctrine is essential, especially the doctrines that concern salvation and the gospel. There can be no compromise on these vital truths. And guaranteed, this false religious system and in the tribulation, it will be a one-world religious system combining all the the false religions into one it will be a religion of compromise it will not contain the true gospel and any deviation from the gospel essentials no matter how sincere or well-meaning the person may be it means eternal death because there's only one way to be saved how's that well jesus is the way the truth and the life you know, Paul, he stood up to Peter face to face and said, Oi, there's no compromise here. We're not going to be pulled back into the law. And uh yeah, no way, do I say no compromise allowed here. So we need to be strong to stand up for what's true concerning the gospel. And there's a contrast in the book of Revelation. In chapter 12, we looked at the nation of Israel. And Israel was created by God to bring people to fellowship, into relationship with God, through Jesus, the Savior, who was born through Israel, who came through Israel. So God's purpose for Israel was to be light, life, and truth to a dark, dead, and deceived world. Now, in contrast, Mystery Babylon religion, the false system of religion that we see around us today, was created by Satan to keep people from knowing God, to keep them dead in their sins. Let's move on to verse 6. It says, Drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So, when people drink to get drunk, they're excessive in doing that. They're reveling in that. They're delighting in that. And so, this false religious system is reveling, is delighting in the persecution and murder of true believers. Why? Because this mystery Babylon religion, this false religious system is inspired by Satan and Satan's goal has always been to persecute both Israel and the church and the church meaning the true believers. Now it says in verse 6, I marveled with great amazement. Why? Well, think about it this way. John lived in a day where people like Nero and others were burning people as human tortures, they were, you know putting Christians to death in large numbers. So why was he amazed at this persecution? Well, I've got a couple of quotes here. First is a quote from David Guzik. "John was amazed because this wasn't pagan persecution, like he knew in his day, but religious error and persecution. This is a pseudo-church, thirsty for the blood of the saints." And Valvoid says, false religion is always the worst enemy of true religion. So we're talking about like a false
1: Christianity here. And for example, you've heard of Bloody Mary, the Roman Catholic Queen Mary. Between 1555 and
0: 1558, 288 Christians are burnt alive at the stake for their stand for Christian truth. So this is the church, in this case the
1: Catholic church, killing true believers. And I'm going to move on to verse 7.
0: But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition." And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they say the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. Again, this is speaking about the Antichrist when he's assassinated and then has his counterfeit resurrection. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come, or has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition or destruction. So verse 7 says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. Last week we talked about riding a horse. The person on the horse usually controls the horse, but who's doing all the work? (laughs) It's the horse, right? In this case... The government appears, or the economic system appears to be directed by this false religion. But, as it turns out, it's the government, their economic system, using their religious system to get what they want. So, tyrants, generally speaking, use religion as a tool to accomplish their purposes. I mean, it could be communism. You know, they get the people to come under... Like in China, for example, communism in China today. Other places use Islam
1: to get the people to fall into line. There's all different ways of doing it. Now, Scripture interprets Scripture. We went through this last week, how the best
0: way of finding out the truth about something is to go back to the Bible where it explains it. The Bible usually explains itself. So the seven heads, what are the seven heads? I want to show you this morning that the seven heads are seven kingdoms, seven world empires. And so I've just got a summary here of the main points that talk about the seven heads. So it says, from verses 7, 9, and 10, And of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns, verse 9 here is the mind which has wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits there are also seven kings or kingdoms five have fallen one is and the other has not yet come so what are these seven heads what do they represent so we need to get this right i've told you what i think they are but i'm going to show you from scripture what they are now the first interpretation that it gives here that the seven heads are seven mountains so Anyone living in John's day would know this referred to Rome
1: because Rome was a city on seven hills. It was actually built on seven hills back then. And at that time, Rome was the economic and religious capital of the world.
0: And during the seven-year tribulation, most likely it will again be the economic and religious capital of the world. And verse 18 confirms this. It says... And the woman who you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. It's that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So it's telling us that the city of Rome will be the center of government most likely in the future. Now, verse 10 tells us more about the seven heads, that they are seven kings, which can also be translated seven kingdoms. So I've got an example from Daniel seven seventeen and. 23 where it says which are four kings and then in the explanation it says the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth so where it says seven kings that you can also interpret that or write that as seven kingdoms okay seven world empires so basically the beast with the seven heads in verse 9 represent the government's or world-dominating empires from the time of egypt But why Egypt? Why not further back? Well, it's all got to do with Israel. And you go, oh, what's Israel got to do with this? Well, everything. (laughs) The book of Revelation is about Israel. It describes, especially chapter 6 through 19, it describes a seven-year tribulation. What is a seven-year tribulation? Well, it's the last seven years decreed for Israel. In Daniel 9:24 24-27, God is working through Israel to be a witness to the world. There's 144,000 Jewish evangelists going throughout the earth preaching and, and winning many converts. Church is gone. All right. So everything in the book of Revelation has to do with Israel. So Israel was birthed when Egypt was a world power. And that's why it starts with Egypt. That's why these seven world empires start with Egypt.
1: So I want to just show that to you so that it's not just my opinion.
0: Revelation 12 vividly describes Satan's plan of using the final seven world powers or empires to achieve his goal of destroying Israel. So Revelation twelve one to 4 Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. So Genesis 37, 9-10 shows us that that is a picture or a type of Israel. Then being with child, and we know that's Jesus the Messiah, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So Jesus came through the nation of Israel. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. So this is Satan. And here he's described as having seven heads and ten horns. And then it says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So, what does Satan want to do to Israel and to the Messiah? Destroy them. So, we see this big picture going on. We see a great sign. This is one of the things. There's three great signs. And one of them is Israel, and the next one is the dragon trying to destroy Israel. So you can see. In the big picture, it's all about Israel. Now, it's interesting, in 12.9, Satan is the dragon, and here, in chapter 12, he's described as having the seven heads and ten horns. So, it's pretty obvious for us today, living in the last days, that Satan is inspiring or controlling or influencing, is probably more accurate, the the governments of the world. He has been in control of directing, influencing these world empires. And he has used these last seven world empires, that is Egypt through to the Roman Empire, to persecute Israel. And that's true. If you look back on history, these empires have persecuted Israel at various times. So he's the prince of the power of the year, Ephesians 2.2, and he has been given temporary authority by God to rule this world. And what's his goal? Well, the deception of mankind and the destruction and persecution of Israel, the church, and later on, the tribulation saints. So, if you look at governments today, what are they doing? They're using false religion, most of the time, to achieve their goals which is power and wealth. If you know anything about history or have some general knowledge about history, Egypt, Syria, Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire and the soon-coming revived Roman Empire, they all used and will use religion and economic means to control their subjects, the people in their kingdoms. So example, in John's day in the Roman Empire, once a year, every single person had to go into a temple, one of the emperor temples, and worship the emperor. They had to offer a pinch of incense and say, Caesar is Lord, or whoever was Caesar at the time. And so the emperor was worshipped as a god. And this is a good way of preventing your subjects from rebelling against you. Right? If you're the
1: emperor, you make yourself out to be a god. <laughs> People aren't going to rebel against you. So, again in the days of the Egyptian empire,
0: Pharaoh was also considered to be God and was worshipped. And overall, every world empire had their gods and idols, and it was all centred on this false trinity, Semiramis, Nimrod, and Tammuz,
1: and just used different names in different cultures. Now, if you go back to Daniel
0: we can get more evidence or a clearer picture that these seven heads
1: are seven kingdoms. And we also here
0: have a better understanding of the Antichrist. In Daniel 7, it describes another horn with a big mouth. (laughs) So who do you think Mr. Big Mouth is? Speaking blasphemies? Well, We're going to find out it's the Antichrist who rises up and takes over. So Daniel 7 and Revelation 17 really help each other. They really work well together. So I think it's worth reading Daniel chapter 7. Now, by time Daniel wrote the book of Daniel, Egypt and Assyria were already defeated and would never again become world powers. And so Daniel doesn't talk about these powers. He only talks about the last five. Talks about four kingdoms or four beasts, but the last beast is in two parts. Okay, The Roman Empire, part one, and the future Roman Empire. So let's have a read of Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 15. And we'll have a quick look. I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen, and my visions terrified me. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant. He explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. So pretty clear? So these beasts are four kingdoms, all right, that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. Who's the holy people of the Most High? Israel, yep. They'll
1: be given the kingdom. When will this happen?
0: at the second coming of Jesus, yeah? And they rule forever and ever. Verse 19 in Daniel 7, Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast. This is the Roman Empire. The one so different from the others and so terrifying. It had devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, trampling the remains beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head. This is the last beast. And the little horn that came up afterward and destroyed three of the other horns. This horn, this little horn, had seemed greater than the others
1: and it had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. So here we have the ten
0: horns being ten kings and the Antichrist as a person having eyes and a mouth In the scriptures, a horn means power. So these kings represent it as having power, as being horns. And he was boasting arrogantly against God. He was blaspheming God. And verse 21 says, As I watched, this horn, this antichrist, was waging war against God's holy people. Now what did we just read in Revelation 17 and Revelation 12? That he's waging war against God's people. Revelation 13.7 says it was granted to him to make war with the saints overcome them. And verse 22, Until the Ancient One came and judged in favor of his holy people. And that's the second coming. when God says, enough is enough. Time's up. Seven years is finished. Here I come. And the Antichrist and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. And the children of Israel come back To the land, and they rule with Jesus, and the church is there as well. Okay, we come back with Jesus. Verse 23, still in Daniel 7, then he said to me, This fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. Is that pretty clear? All right, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others, it will devour the whole world. So the others were world empires, but they didn't necessarily control every single part of the world but this will devour or control the whole world trampling and crushing everything in its path it's very clear here in verse 24 it's 10 horns are 10 kings who will rule that empire okay these are not 10 sequential kings 10 emperors these are 10 kings that will rule that empire the last one at the end with the antichrist Because it says here, then another king will arise, this is a little horn, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them, he will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. So he's going to rebel against God, he's going to blaspheme God, he's going to oppress the holy people, who's that? Israel, yep, he's going to turn against Israel, he's going to break his promise with them. And he will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and Jerusalem and Israel will be placed under his control for a time, times and half a time. How long is that? Time times half a time is? Three and a half years. That's the last three and a half years of the tribulation. So the temple will be defiled and under the control of the Antichrist for the last three and a half years of the tribulation. Verse
1: 26, but then the court will pass judgment. Where is this court? Where is this judgment made? It's heaven, yeah. If you read earlier on in Revelation, in
0: chapter 5, 4 and 5, God is seated on his throne in heaven. He is in control. And all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. So that's the power of the the Antichrist, and Satan, who is empowering him. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. Again, that's Israel. His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. So I did that. I went back to Daniel for a few reasons. I think it's fun to go back and see how all these things match up. And remind us what we've already learned now it definitely shows that the seven heads are seven world empires. It reminds us that the end times events that occur during the tribulation are referred to multiple times in the scriptures, and Revelation and Daniel fit together like a hand in a glove, and it helps to explain the remaining verses in Revelation seventeen, which talk about the ten kings and the Antichrist so what do the seven heads represent? Can you tell me? Seven world empires. Very good. Starting with Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon, then and Persians, then Greece, and then the Roman Empire. Okay, that's good. And the Roman Empire, if you read Daniel chapter 2, It's the two legs of iron and it's the feet of iron and clay. So it's in two stages. The stage has already been the historical Roman Empire and there's also the future Roman Empire. So why is this important? Well, the woman rides the beast. The false religious system rides the economic and government system. So get the big picture here. False religion and government have been working together against God for a long time, ever since the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. So, we have religion and the economic system working together to control and deceive the people of the world, and also to work together to persecute Israel and those who trust in God. So, when you look around, and you see this happening in most countries, well, now you know why. This is Satan's way of doing things. Okay, This is Satan's plan, it's his strategy, yeah? The Bible says that we should not be ignorant of Satan's schemes, 2 Corinthians two nine, and that we should put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles or schemes or strategies of the devil, Ephesians 6.10. So I'm gonna come back to this as an application at the end. But just to give you the big picture, why this is important to learn. It's not just information. We need to know that we are in a war zone. Okay, We are living in enemy territory. Satan has control over this world. That's why it's so dangerous. So let's come back to Revelation 17 verse 10. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. Again, this is easy to understand now. The first five kingdoms were Egyptian Empire, Assyrian Empire, Babylonian Empire, Median Persian Empire, Grecian Empire. Okay, that's five. Five have fallen. Five have come and gone. They will beat the dust, yeah? One is, which is that one? In John's day? The Roman Empire, yeah? And the other has not yet come. And for us, it's still future as well. It comes during the tribulation. But when it does come, he must continue for a how long? A short time. So it's not hundreds of years, it's only a short time. The tribulation is only seven
1: years. Now the Roman Empire was never actually defeated. All the other ones were defeated, but the Roman
0: Empire kind of just disintegrated and faded away. It rotted from the inside out during the end times and the eu could be a picture of this
1: like a precursor of the revived roman empire it will come back and eventually it will rule the world so revelation 17 verse
0: 11 They are now talking about the rise of the antichrist so the seventh world kingdom is the revived roman empire during the tribulation we have like an eighth kingdom it describes it here as like an eighth kingdom so the beast that was and is not the beast that was killed and had his counterfeit resurrection is himself also the eighth kingdom he takes over the world the ten kings as we're going to read give him their authority and he becomes like the eighth world empire and is of the seven. And is of the seven means he has the same characteristics. So it's going to be basically the
1: same, set ruled by the Antichrist. And is going to perdition or destruction. So the beast that was, is going to perdition. He's going
0: to rule the world for a short time and then he's going to destruction. Now, I just want to prove to you that there will be An assassination attempt on the antichrist which will most likely be successful so let's go back to verse 8 and revelation 12 1-4 and before i read those verses what it says there is that there will be a counterfeit resurrection and this false prophet the guy who works with the antichrist is going to use this counterfeit resurrection of the antichrist to convince those who are on the earth, the unbelievers to worship the image of the beast or antichrist and take his mark it will most likely have something to do with why they turn against the one world religion too the ten kings will turn against the one world religion probably after the antichrist has risen from the dead counterfeit resurrection and he's going to Proclaim himself to be the Messiah, the counterfeit Messiah, as we know. So Revelation 17:8, the beast you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition, and those on the earth will marvel. Those whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not, and yet is. So it's a picture. It sounds complicated, but it's pretty simple. When they see the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. That was. He was alive. Now he's not alive and yet is alive. Yeah? So John's watching this. God's given him a bird's eye view of the future. And he sees the Antichrist alive and then dead and then alive again. Pretty simple. Now, Revelation 13, verses 2 to 4 and 14. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So the beast, sometimes it refers to Satan. Sometimes it refers to the Antichrist, and sometimes it refers to the kingdom. So it's all kind of wrapped up. But here it splits it up a bit. The dragon gave him, the Antichrist, his power, his throne and great authority. And also one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded, and the deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, the Antichrist, and they worshipped the beast. You see this? This is... Satan worship. They're worshipping the dragon, Satan, who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, the Antichrist. Okay? In verse 14, it links this to the mark of the beast. And he, the false prophet, deceives those who dwell on the earth, the unbelievers, by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, the Antichrist, telling those who dwell on the earth, the unbelievers, to make an image, a statue, to the beast or Antichrist, who was mortally wounded by the sword and lived. Okay? So the reason that people are going to be so convinced that this Antichrist really is God is because they really believe he rose from the dead. This is a counterfeit resurrection. Okay, back to verse 11 in Revelation 17. The beast that was not and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seventh and is going to perdition. So, the beast that was and is not is himself refers to the counterfeit resurrection we just read about. Is himself also the eighth? Okay, again, the seventh kingdom is the tribulation kingdom of the Roman Empire in the tribulation. But the eighth kingdom is when the Antichrist rules that world empire that Roman Empire. It's not really the Roman Empire anymore, it's the Antichrist Empire and that's why it's called the Eighth Kingdom. And is of the seven, again that simply means that the characteristics of this kingdom will be like the previous kingdoms. It will hate Israel and hate the believers and will persecute them and try to deceive people and stop them from coming to Christ. And is going to perdition or destruction So the beast, or Antichrist, will be destroyed when? When Jesus comes back at the second coming. That's in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. It says, Then the beast, or Antichrist, was captured, and with him the false prophet who works signs in his presence, by which he deceives those who receive the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These two are cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. This is the perdition, this is the destruction that it's talking about. So this is the the actual event when it happens. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks' time. So this is the ultimate destruction. <laughs> I've just said there that the false prophet and the antichrist will be the first guests in hotel fire and brimstone, where the lights and air conditioning don't work and the plumbing is broken, so to speak. If you think of Luke sixteen, you know, the rich man in torment, in the flames. These are the first two people to go into the lake of fire. Now, who was the lake of fire made for, created for? The devil and his angels, the fallen angels. People are not supposed to go there, but they choose to go there because they refuse to return from their sin. They refuse to repent. Now we come to the ten kings, allies of the Antichrist, in verse 12 to 14. So the ten horns which you saw are? Ten kings. Now what did we read in Daniel just before? Ten horns and ten kings, right? Who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast, the Antichrist. They will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Called, chosen, and faithful. So that describes those who are with him. The ones who are with him are described as called, chosen, and faithful. We'll get into that in a sec. So the ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. So most likely a ten-nation confederation, like the toes of Daniel chapter 2, verse 24-25, to the feet of iron and clay with ten toes. And many see the European Union as being a precursor to this world kingdom made up of or ruled by a confederation of ten nations based in Western
1: Europe. And these are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So these
0: kings will all eventually submit to the Antichrist and give him their power and authorities, making the Antichrist the most powerful world dictator the world has
1: ever seen. He will have complete control. Verse 14, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them
0: for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Again, the battle of Armageddon. Jesus returns and wipes them all out. It's going to be the greatest slaughter of all time. Most likely hundreds of millions will die just by the words of Jesus when he returns. We've read in the scriptures that the blood will come up to the horse's bridles. And I'll just read a little bit about this. Second coming, when Jesus comes back and destroys them. Revelation nineteen eleven 11-16 Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Now, who's that? Jesus, yeah. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. And the armies in heaven. Now who's that? That's us. We go up in the rapture and we come down with Jesus from heaven when he comes back at the second coming, at the end of the tribulation. So, And the armies in heaven, that's asked the church, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, that's Christ's righteousness, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should strike the nations. Now, it's not literally a sharp sword coming out of his mouth. It's the words that he speaks. The Bible is referred to as a double-edged sword. And continuing in Revelation 19... And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress and fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Where did we read that? Back in Revelation 17, right? So this King of kings and Lord of lords is Jesus who comes back. He's the word of God. He speaks these armies of the world. At the Battle of Armageddon, they just they die. They're slaughtered. Their bodies burst open. Their blood pours out. I love verse 14. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So just like we read in chapter 19 of Revelation, we come back with Jesus clothed in his righteousness, His white robes. Our sins have been washed away by his blood. And these three words describe salvation. So first called, it means invited or welcomed. Chosen means the chosen or elect ones. And faithful means trustworthy, dependable, reliable, believing and trusting. So we are the ones who trust Jesus. It's not because of what we've done any good works. It's simply because we put our trust in him. We accepted the invitation and became his elect ones. So this is how God sees us right now. Now I'm not walking like that all the time now, because God sees me like that. How is that? because he sees me as I am in Christ, He sees me as I will be in the future so question for us: am I walking worthy of my calling and I've got some verses there for you to look up: it's ephesians chapter four verse one, Colossians one verse ten, and first Thessalonians chapter two, verse twelve if this is how God sees us, if this is our future ruling and reigning with him, am I living my life? Am I walking worthy of my calling? So now we come to verses 15 to 18. It's the end of Mystery Babylon, one world religious system. So verse 15, Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and tongues. So simply put, The harlot, this false religion, this one-world religious system controls all people. It's worldwide. Through her connection to the political and economic system, it will be a truly one-world religion. Just like it was at the time of Ninron. Back then, before God confused the
1: languages, it was a one-world religion. But God stopped it then, and he's going to stop it again. And verses 16 to
0: 18, And the ten horns, the ten kings, which you saw on the beast. These will hate the harlot. This is the mystery Babylon religion, this false religion. He'll make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So in verse 16, The Antichrist and his allies, these ten kings, will turn on the great harlot. They'll turn on this false religious system, this one world religion. They will destroy this one world religion. Again, this violence probably happens at the midpoint of the tribulation because this is when the Antichrist starts demanding that people worship him as God. He will not accept any worship except of himself. And 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4 confirm this. The son of perdition or destruction, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So this happens, according to Daniel nine twenty seven at the midpoint of the tribulation. He goes into the temple, defiles the temple and says, I'm God, you worship me. So once his power has been consolidated, the ten kings have given their authority to him. He doesn't need this one world religion. He doesn't want to share the worship of the people with another religion. Even if it's worshipping demons, he wants direct worship. He wants people to worship him directly. God has put it into their hearts to be one mind and give their kingdom to the beast. So who's in control? Who put it in their hearts? God. Okay. So you can see here that God does exactly what he wants, yeah? He's giving people a choice. We've read previously, I'll just quickly go through what God has done, the great lengths that God goes to during the tribulation period to tell people the truth so they won't be deceived by this false religious system and caught up in this economic system. He sends the two prophets, most likely Moses and Elijah, they're in Jerusalem. They do miracles and they call down plagues, turn water to blood, all that kind of stuff. He sends angels, which go around the whole world, warning people do not take the mark of the beast. And they also share the everlasting gospel and proclaim the end of the Babylon uh, economic system. And. He also sends out 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from each tribe. There's nothing more that God can do. You have angels crying out, shouting from heaven. You can't miss it. You have the two witnesses in Jerusalem being broadcast all over the world, and their message goes out all over the world. And you have the 144,000 going all over the world. The only reason people don't... Turn to God is because they refuse to repent of their sin. That's what the scripture says. It says that again and again in Revelation. As we're going through chapter 16, we saw that again. And that great city. So in John's day, there's no doubt which city reigns over the kings of the earth. It was Rome. Okay. It was the Roman Empire. Rome was the capital. So at that time, it was the representation of Mystery Babylon, and in the future it will be both the religious and economic Mystery Babylon. Now, personal application to finish off: Babylon, in the sense of the world system, has always been that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Today, can we point to one place on the earth and say that's the center of false religion, or that's the world economic system? That's where it is. No, we can't. Okay, so it's a Mystery Babylon. It's kind of everywhere at once right now. It's not centralised at the moment.
1: It's not under a one-world government. It's not under a one-world false religion. But it's still there. Does that make sense? It's still just as powerful. It's not centralised.
0: It's decentralised, which makes it even worse. Now the question for us as Christians is, does this mystery Babylon, this world system, reign over me? not just for Christians, but for anyone. Does this world system reign over me, or am I the citizen of a better country, a better city than Jerusalem from above? Um, Galatians 4.26. So, even as Christians, we can still be deceived and allured, be attracted to the things of the world more than to God. So the main point, that I hope you get from today's message is that we are now more aware of Satan's wiles or schemes. We have learned that Satan rules over the whole world and that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. That's first John five, eighteen to twenty-one. And how? Well, he controls religion, economics, and politics. That's how he does it. It's all controlled by him. It's evil. It's At its heart, it's evil. So, if I don't belong to God, I belong to Satan. I belong to his world system. Satan's goal is to what? Distract, deceive, discourage, and deviate us from knowing God. Now, some words of encouragement to finish. When we are born again, we are delivered out or transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And that's Colossians 1.13-14. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we are taken out of one kingdom and put into another kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. But even though we are now in His kingdom, we still must decide to walk as children of light. This world system is powerful. And even as Christians, we can fall prey to its deceptive charms. So 1 John 5, 18-21. And and as we read, I've highlighted there the words, we know that, okay? So these are the things that we should know as believers. All right? So 1 John 5, 18-21. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. That's pretty cool, eh? We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. We don't sin continually. We've repented. We fall, but we get back up. We ask God to forgive us. Why? Because God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. So we have victory over the penalty of sin and over the power of sin. That's an awesome
1: promise. Verse 19, another, we know that, we know that we are the children of God
0: and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Again, this is that warning I'm talking about. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us, yeah? You get this warning? The alarm bell should be going off, yeah? Watch out, danger, we're in enemy territory, we're behind enemy lines. Satan, like First Peter five eight says, Satan is w- always walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And the last, we know that, in these verses in 1 John 5, verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding, so that we can know the true God. And now, we live in fellowship with the true God, because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. So, how do we overcome the world well it's by our faith in christ but it's through fellowship with the lord my one purpose in life is to love god to be in fellowship with him and to bear the fruit that brings glory to his name and then it finishes with verse 21 dear children keep away from anything that might take god's place in your heart so it says in verse 19 we know that we are children of god And that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And then verse 20, it talks about being a fellowship with God. And then verse 21 says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your life. So, Mystery Babylon, religious or economic, is real. It's powerful and it's at a computer, TV, movie, school, pub, workplace, university, sporting event, billboard, or even a church near you. Satan wants to replace your affections for God, your love for God, with a love for the things of the world. That's why it says in verse 21, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So, we need to guard our hearts. We need to choose to love God more than we love the world. And if we do that, we'll be safe from its desires and idols. I just want to finish with Ephesians 5, 7-11. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you, the Holy Spirit, you could say, produces only what is good and right and true. So it produces, yeah? It's not we produce, it's the light in us that produces it, yeah? It's not us, it's God. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead expose them. So remember, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, carefully determine
1: what pleases the Lord. Father, thank you for this message that we've had today from
0: Revelation 17. Lord Satan is out and about. He's busy, he's active, he's persecuting Christians all around the world right now through false religion, through Economic systems, three governments, millions and millions and millions, billions of Christians or the people are under persecution, under control of tyrants. People forcing or trying to force people to believe a certain religion or come to a certain viewpoint or live a certain way. It's Satan's goal. It's Satan's plan to deceive and to distract and to deviate us away from God, to discourage us from seeking God. And that's what we see, and that's what we've read here. So, Lord, our eyes have been opened, I pray, to know what Satan's game plan is. Lord, help us to be careful, Lord, because we know that we live in a world that is controlled by Satan. He is the prince of the power of the air. And until you come back, you have given him authority over this world. Limited authority, but still authority to do things which are evil and wrong. But Lord, you turn those things around because for us as Christians, what the world means as evil, what Satan means as evil, you turn around and use it for good. What Satan means for evil, God means for good. And it's through these trials, it's through these difficult times, it's through this pressure, this heat, that we are changed more into the image of Christ. So help us to be strong. Help us to be aware of what's going on around us so we can remain pure and we can love you more than we love the world. Help us to focus on our fellowship with you, our relationship with you, and to always prioritize
1: that as being the most important part of our lives, being in relationship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.